Welcome back, boys and ghouls. We hope you're ready for another devilishly delightful monster talk, archaeological fantasies crossover. <laughs> this year we've decided to move to the land of horrific make-believe, and how those pesky archaeologists are always letting the demon out of the box. What can we learn from these cautionary tales about the power of curiosity and the doom of knowledge? Get ready to peel your ears and keep them open. And remember, boys and ghouls, always think critically. Jeb is performing an exorcism and is not with us. <laughs> Everyone, and welcome to the super spooky Archie Fantasies uh, Monster Talk crossover. Boom! Those are just scary sounds, yeah. We, scary sound effects. <laughs> maybe I will dig up some sound effects. We have a full cast today. I am here with my co-host, Ken Fader. Jeb is unfortunately at a party having a good time or something, but not here with us. I think he's performing an exorcism, actually, but I don't know. I like that story it, much. Yes. yes. Jeb is performing an exorcism and is not with us. Kidnapped uh, by fairies, and he mistakenly took one small drink. Oh. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> and we also have with us... The hosts of Monster Talk, Blake and Karen. Ahoy! Hi. <laughs> I don't want to say your last name because I will butcher it. It's Samitahe. Oh, it's pronounced like okay. the Cherokee. Yeah, yeah. It looks She's like Smith, so but... Mine's so yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's so Anglo. Stoles no. <laughs> That's what I say. Other people say Stoles now, which is much more positive. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's Not so much stoles later, stoles right now. I was like, <laughs> here. So today, let's see. So we have done this two years in a row. This is lucky number three. And in the past, I'm sure everybody listened to my pseudo archaeology double feature that I threw out about a week ago now. Um, we've talked about fairies and we've talked about. Uh, haunted objects so this year because we only do this once a year and then blake runs off with my other two co-hosts and records episodes with them throughout the year <laughs> what <laughs> cheats on me too oh my god jeez blake <laughs> it sarah it doesn't mean anything i swear to god killing <laughs> <laughs> my co-host to see how you are um purely physical that was all it was it's all it is <laughs> Hey, loves you. <laughs> so this year we're going to talk about movies and we're going to talk about haunted movies. We're going to talk about archaeology movies and monsters. And we've got some really cool sounding movies. One that I really wanted to see and never did get around to. Uh, but Karen, you did manage to go see it. So can you tell yes. us about your movie? Yeah, I, it only took me four nights to watch because uh, I've got a three-year-old. <laughs> Oh, so I, I got the whole cinema, cinematic experience of watching the whole thing from, from start to finish. But uh, anyway, the Winchester movie, so it came out this year. It's uh, a newie and uh, came out about February. And uh, it was, on the surface of things, it was interesting, it was fun, but it's not rating too well on IMDb. It's got about five stars out of ten. And uh, it, it was cool to me that they did actually film in the house itself. Oh but it was kind of disappointing to see that they must have just taken a few bits of stock footage and then just reused that 
maybe added a bit of a blue tinge to the the coloring or something but they kept reusing the same footage again and again so was it a documentary or was it like a horror movie oh i classify it as a horror movie but it's curious in that it's was a kind of a fictional story that was based on the fictional story which is told at the winchester mystery house so i don't know if any of you guys have actually been there before yeah i I was years and years ago i i did a tour of the winchester mystery house and it was it's it's a cool house it's really interesting it is i think i heard about it when i was a kid on uh ripley's believe it or not or something i was determined to get there one day and so when i lived in the bay area i went a couple of times and it's extremely expensive to go there and they really herd you through don't they mm-hmm. they've just got right. dozens right. of groups of people going through every um you know couple of hours so wow. i think they they claim that they get millions of people visiting the place every year mm-hmm. so it's a fascinating building um and the the yeah the movie just added there were plot the plot itself and the subplots were quite different to the story that's told at the house um, and but then again, the reality is is something different altogether. So in the movie, uh, the premise is that there is a a doctor who's brought in to uh, do a psychological evaluation of Sarah Winchester, who was the heir, the sole heir to the Winchester Rifles Company. Um, and so he is having to determine whether she's sane or insane, um, and he's basically getting paid off so that he can oust her from any business relations with the company. So that didn't actually happen in reality. She uh, was worth something like about $20 million and receiving about $1,000 a day, I think, for, as part of her inheritance. So she was never in any fear of losing that at all. Um, but then That's the, the move... a lot of money for back then, though. And, they, yeah, they said it was tax-free at the time, too. Um, so it was a hell of a, lot of a lot of money. But, of course, they were making a lot more things than just rifles. They made roller skates and irons and clothing. I think the family, before they bought into um, the rifle business, they were they used to make clothing and shirts for men and things like that. But um, anyway, the, the basic story goes that they tell you when you go to the Winchester house is that uh, she lost various members of her family in quick succession. Uh, she lost her baby daughter. She lost her husband, her father, father-in-law and her mother-in-law. And uh, she believed that she was cursed. So she went to see a psychic um, and the psychic said, yes, you, you're cursed. You are uh, basically cursed by the victims of the Winchester rifles. So men, women, children, animals, they're all coming after you. So you have to move. She was living on the East Coast. You have to move to the West Coast and you need to build a house for the spirits. And That's there's another specific. theory. It is, yeah, yeah, but there's no record of this psychic existing, and I think that that story first appeared in the 1960s, so there's no record of it uh-huh. before. At all. Um, so some people say that she, it was the house that spirits built, that she built the house uh, to store all of the spirits, and then other people say that she built the house to confuse the spirits because there are lots of that's the story I've heard. strange features. Yeah, I've heard both yeah. stories. So, and when you were there, Karen, what, 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 which of the very weird architectural features that just don't make any sense did they point out to you in the tour? Oh, I mean, there are so many weird things there. Um, there's a, a um, there are bars on internal windows. There are windows in floors. There are doors that open onto walls. There are these strange doll, dollhouse-sized doors. 
Um, there's a recur- I remember that at one point that there are these set of stairs that lead that don't lead to anywhere. They just lead to a ceiling and a wall, which makes yes. absolutely no sense. They call that the stairway to nowhere, and they also say that there's a door to nowhere as well, which opens to an eight-foot drop. Yes. I've heard about that door, yeah. <laughs> that's where, yeah, that's where you send people you don't like. <laughs> absolutely. So all of these really weird features, and the number 13 is this recurring motif throughout the house too. There are um, 13 trees that lead you to the house and uh, 13 drains in a sink, 13 lights in a chandelier, the number 13 is just everywhere. And so it's wait, that she there's a sink the there that 13. has 13 drains in it? Yes, yeah. And it, a, it looks pretty strange. But there's a there's a story behind that. So um, uh, I guess I should get to the, the truth behind all of the claims. Um, so basically there are two things that can give us natural explanations for a lot of the strange oddities in the house. And uh, one of those is that there was the um, 1906 earthquake. And so it's, it's said I should really backstep a little bit and say that people say she built the house over 38 years and that she built the house 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 38 years. So she was continuously building this house um, for the spirits or to, to hide from the spirits, whatever theory that you choose to go with. So that's a you know, hell of a long time for someone to build a house. Um, but in actual fact, she built the house for maybe about 20 years and she stopped when there was the 1906 San Francisco earthquake because a lot of the house was damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, the house used to have seven levels and after the earthquake, there, wow. it was reduced to about three levels. So something like 500 rooms that the the house originally had was reduced to about 160 rooms. Oh, which again, huge house for that time. Seven oh, it absolutely is. Just a very weird, sprawling place. Wow. So, uh, so she basically moved into another house after the earthquake and just stopped building. Um, so she had about 12 houses in the Bay Area. So, again, people think she was just obsessed with this one house. No, she died in another house. She didn't die there. Um, so there's that. But also there was a family who purchased the place after she died, the Brown family, and they opened it up to the public about maybe six months after her death, and they added a lot of those strange features to the uh, house. So uh-huh. they, they realised they had a, a moneymaker going there, uh, and so they, they added the little weird little doors, they added the windows in the floors, and the door to nowhere originally had a balcony, so it wasn't just this eight-foot gotcha. drop. A, so it's like Mystery Hill. Mystery Hill. Mystery Hill after the guy who bought it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, the, yeah um, he started Will altering. Goodwin. He, well, in that case, okay. he, he knew what it, what it was supposed to look like, so he reconstructed it in his, right. the image that he had of what it should look like. You know, for Celtic Druids. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, so. interesting. No, I didn't, didn't know about that. Um, but... Uh, so, yeah, they, they just turned the place into this this circus. They added the extra 12 drains to that kitchen sink. Um, oh. they D- does added it have 13 stoppers? It doesn't. See, that doesn't even way. make any sense. It's really just a sieve that they put a drain on. Yeah, it's just they've really done a shabby job of doing things. They've got this beautiful chandelier in the ballroom, and there were 12 gas lights that were in there, and they've added this haphazard shoddy little 13th one to make it seem like she added that herself mm. and so it's just a really a terrible job and uh again when you go there and you hear the stories they're told by teenage girls and they're just repeating them just parroting them 
the way that they do again and again, day after day. And uh, no one questions it really, but the place is often said to be the most haunted house in the country. And uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, it was <laughs> Sarah Winchester who was haunted. Um, but then others say, oh, no, you know, the, the place is filled with all of the spirits of people who were killed by Winchester rifles. Mm-hmm. That's one so. of those amazing things. I guess it's an advertising thing where the most haunted X, where, you know, it's like the most haunted city, the most haunted building, the most haunted home. And it's, oh, they all laugh. Yeah, it's, it's like there's no there's no uh, governing body that's verifying the level of, <laughs> of hauntedness, you know. So. Oh yeah, it's a title they take on themselves. So, <laughs> right, the, Guin- guys... the Guinness people don't show up to verify. Right, exactly. Yeah, number one. <laughs> what you guys don't understand is there is actually a super secret government foundation that goes around and quantitatively measures the hauntedness <laughs> of each of these ah. locations, and that's where they're getting this from. But they now give that ribbons, I've, so you get a gold. Now yes. that makes sense. See, like, yes. it, like Savannah's <laughs> a little gold sticker. The, I was going to say it's, Savannah's it's most a... haunted city in Georgia, and I, I I don't know if that's you know literally true, but there's certainly a lot of spirits on the streets, or, or at least <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but then New Orleans lays claim to that title, and they also so have a lot of spirits on the streets. Away. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Has vampires. That's all they got. Can, can you imagine though, growing up in a city where they, their aspirations were a little bit lower? You know, seventh most haunted city in America. <laughs> I feel like that's Philadelphia. Philadelphia's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. We don't, we don't really care. I think Denver'd be happy with that too. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we're seventh. Eh. But so I think, uh, as for the movie, anyway, I think if you know the story or if you've been to the Winchester Mystery House. It's it's fun to watch, and it's certainly a different interpretation as movies often are. But they do claim that it's inspired by actual events. Right, sure. Oh, well, I, I mean, lots of things are inspired by other things, but that doesn't mean that they're related. Oh yeah, they're they're often the ones that are full of bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> the ones that say it's based on a true story, then you know it's a it's a giveaway that it's bogus. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> hey, hey, Karen, in, in Denver, I know they've legalized marijuana. Have they? Have they changed their their motto from being the Mile High City to be the Smile High City? Because <laughs> well, that's a free a marketing uh, opportunity for them if they want to take that. Just run with it. I don't need any credit or money. You you would really love the puns of all of the dispensaries. Here. I mean, some of the names are some of the names are really clever. I probably so would, I can't yeah. think of any off the top of my head, but yeah, they've and they've lots of them have. Uh, made good use of it being the mile high city for sure that's funny. town made for blake <laughs> <laughs> so so the movie itself though deviate even from the fictional uh or i guess the fictionalization of the of the story they they mm-hmm. they took it further they took it just in a different way how, how did the movie version oh. differ from the fake version of the real history the fake version that they tell at the mystery house right well <laughs> Basically, they've got this uh, Dr. Eric Price, I think, too. And at first uh, I thought, oh, Price, they're talking about Harry Price. Are they saying that Harry Price had been there? Because one of the legends is, too, that Harry Houdini was the only person who was welcomed to the Winchester house when Sarah Winchester was alive. And that's not true. He did visit the house, but about two years after she died. And uh, it's also said that Theodore Roosevelt was turned away as well. That's just how much of a recluse she was. And that part is true. She just kept to herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had some, uh, 
I think, uh, problems with arthritis and I think she'd lost most of her teeth. So she wore her veil all the time and she was, you know, very protective. There's only one or two photographs of her and I believe one of those was taken without her permission. That's hard to do back in the day. To yeah, take a picture yeah. or to avoid it? Or to have <laughs> a veil or to have false teeth? I'm sorry, I'm so confused about what's hard to do. <laughs> To have arthritis. Oh, arthritis. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's very difficult to have arthritis. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah. You know, though, back, back in the day, you could get the Coca-Cola was a lot better. Uh, <laughs> like, the, uh, yeah. you could just go to the drugstore and get Coca-Cola with cocaine oh. in it, I'm sure. This That's this funny. doctor in the, the movie, too, who was just fictional, he was uh, addicted to laudanum, too. So, he right. just kept I remember that, yeah. taking little drops of that. And, uh, but yeah, he didn't actually exist as far as I know that there was never any possibility that she could Karen, use the business. Karen, you're missing it. You're missing the big twist. Oh. He was a ghost. What? Oh, <laughs> you blew and, my mind. <laughs> and, and there is some truth to that too. So I don't know how much I should go into spoilers, oh. but <laughs> yeah, that one of, one of the, uh, the servants there is a ghost and then it, Turns out, I'm going to give the spoiler so people can just put their fingers in their ears and go la 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 if they don't want to hear this. But uh, this doctor is kind of a ghost in the sense that he had uh, been one of the victims of the Winchester rifles too. So he'd taken a bullet from his wife who um, had attempted to commit suicide. So he grabbed the rifle and he was shot and he died temporarily. You know, so, the folks who made this movie missed it by not casting Bruce Willis as the doctor. Right. <laughs> How's that for an obscure <laughs> movie? so many parallels there. Well, that you brings us back trilogy? to Philadelphia. Well, I don't think they had the budget for it. I mean, Helen Mirren's in it, but that's about it. <laughs> that's what <laughs> She plays Sarah Winchester. Perfect. So, yeah, they really do depart from the uh, folklore, which departs from the history. <laughs> that's very meta. So it's like a fake story of a fake story. Yeah, a fake story within a fake story. The media but, has become sentient. There are a couple of good books, including my book, Haunting America, which actually tells the true story of the Winchester Mystery House. Well done. So <laughs> just slip that in there. I like that. Ken usually just ham hands it in. Yeah. I got more class. That's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the bar is set pretty low there, Karen, so I wouldn't like to advertise it. <laughs> you can tell we've been doing this enough times now, because it's just like, there's no friendliness anymore. It's just like, bam. At the window. <laughs> but I, I, I still think it's worth watching, especially if you've ever been there before, or you just like the stories. Um, and and then that way you can pick it apart and, and say, oh, this bit's bullshit, or this bit's real. I was That's really just looking scary. forward to a really good ghost story because I, I like ghosts and haunted house movies. It's got some spooky aspects, but it's also got a lot of jump scares, which my husband really hated. I mean, just every couple of minutes, a rat would appear or something and would <laughs> jump scare, and he hates that. And the, yeah. loud, the loud shrieking violins. So, <laughs> have you tried putting out traps or bait or anything? No, <laughs> not in our house. Not, not in our house. We've got mice. Okay, there's a difference. I feel like when we do these, though, I feel like we need to next year. We should videotape ourselves doing this, just so that everyone can see our faces when Blake makes a joke. Oh yeah, well yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the rolling of the eyes, <laughs> the wincing. <laughs> My kids have got that down to an art. <laughs> yeah, a bit. <laughs> 
like w- when I tell they'll ask show, me a question about a monster. Yeah. This is this kills me. They ask me a question about a monster or a ghost, and I start mm-hmm. to tell them, "Well, you know, I've covered this in my podcast." monster talk and they're like dad just answer the question we don't need a promo what episode 75 <laughs> ask my parents how to spell a word and they'd be like get a dictionary and i'm like i don't want the dictionary i just want you to answer the question exactly blake do you do you, do you at least you don't tell them that if they subscribe to patreon they can get the answer before anybody right. else <laughs> a couple of days before <laughs> exactly. but yes that you get the that uncut was... answer uh <laughs> <laughs> That was a good uh, first half of the show. Thank you, Karen. That was fantastic. I uh, oh. I am going to go watch that movie, though. I, I know it's yeah, bad it. ratings, but I am, like I'm still going to go watch it. You, you like bits of it. Well, they actually shot inside the Winchester house, right? That was what we talked to the guy that wrote Ghostland, and he talked about the fact that they had actually gotten to shoot inside the house. They did take uh, images, or they did uh, film in the house, but it's just kind <gasps> of stock footage, which they kept reusing. So that ah. was... Disappointing. I think the rest of it was CGI, mm. which was well done. But yeah, they just kept having the same scenes, and they just added a different hue to the screen to make it seem like it was different. Mm. So this one, this one's for Blake especially. But I'll ask Karen. Um, in the stock footage, so they were using Winchester wi- rifles to shoot cows. <laughs> wow. Five, six. Seven. <laughs> I I, I I have an actual. Did you like get together before these shows and like put your little heads together and you're like, sure, all right. no, no, this is all. No, no, this, this is all my mental yeah. illness. This is not. Yeah, this is scary. This, this is the true fear of Halloween. It's a pathology, <laughs> right? This is how this is how you know the show is scary. Let's go to break real quick, and when we come back, Ken is going to tell us about his spooky movie. Well, boys and ghouls, we hope you're enjoying this. Monster Talk Archaeological Fantasies crossover. We're sure talking about a lot of spooky topics. And if that isn't hair-raising enough, you should see my hosting bill. we like to thank our Patreon subscribers for all of their assistance in keeping the lights on in this mausoleum. If you're interested in becoming a supporter, Please go to Patreon and look for Archie Fantasies. Every cursed coin counts. And thanks again for supporting the Archaeological Fantasies podcast. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. And Ken, tell us about your four movies. I figure you've got five minutes for each. Listen, really, there's only one movie, but you have to to understand that movie. You need like to know a little bit about three other movies. Uh, The movie I'm talking about tonight is is it was a sci-fi movie made in 2007. It's called The Sands of Oblivion, which apparently if you look up on IMDb, Oblivion is a really popular word to use in these really drecky horror movies. Glasses of Oblivion, Days of Oblivion, Seekers of Oblivion, Days of Oblivion 2, and of course the ever popular Sands of Oblivion. But before I talk about that movie, which is a whole bunch of it's a it's an Egyptian de- demon who's been released into the world and is causing you know the usual mayhem. Yes, yes. But in order to understand that movie, the the, <laughs> the, the true story behind it is we have to go back to 1923 when Cecil B. DeMille, yeah, that guy, the movie mogul, made the original movie, The Ten Commandments, which that was a silent movie. 
Um, it was maybe the most expensive movie of at the time. It was $1.5 million in the middle of production. The, I think it was Paramount came to him and said, listen, you got to stop filming. You've, you've spent too much money. And, and DeMille's response was, so shall we call it the, uh, the five commandments, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, when, when he, by the way, the, 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 um, the topic that you using the, uh, the book of Exodus in the old Testament, um, that was apparently, at least he claimed that it was, um, uh, an, uh, a, 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 what, a uh, competition from all the people who loved his movies. What should I make my next movie about? And somebody, of course, said, well, the only thing you should be making movies about is the Bible. And so he chose the Ten Commandments. Um, yes, DeMille made another version of this in 56. And that's the one with Charlton Heston as Moses, Yul Brenner as the Pharaoh Ramses. And did he, I think Yul Brenner also was like the king of Siam in that other movie. So he's just any ethnic, any ethnic <laughs> role. Give it to Yul yeah. Brenner. And the I think King the funniest thing about the 1956... Yeah. yeah, yeah, the King and I, there you go. And the 56 version, Edward uh, G. Robinson, the guy who played all the gangsters, in that movie, he plays a Jewish slave overseer. And he uses the same, the, same, uh, uh, the same voice that he used as a gangster. So I was like, all right, Moses, yeah, see? You got to build the pyramid, see? Nice. It's like really disconcerting. <laughs> but, but to go back to the 23 movie... When when Demille decided to make when Demille decided to make a movie, he needed a good um, outdoor set, outdoor area, and they weren't going to go to Egypt. It was too expensive, and besides all the pyramids and the obelisks and the temples, they're all in ruins, and he needed it to look like it's you know it's right here and right now. Right. So he chose an area of sand dunes about three hours plus north of Los Angeles in the town of Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is now a state park, but then it was private land. So he rented out this land and had this gigantic Egyptian set built on the dunes. And we're talking about a couple of dozen um, sphinxes, uh, a beautiful pharaoh's gate that looks like Abu Simbel. Uh, so it really was an, a very, very impressive set. And they used half a million board feet of lumber and tons of plaster. So it was very, very impressive. And I've seen the, the, the movie. And it is really pretty cool. They even did a really good job of the, you know, the crossing the Red Sea. Now, isn't it is the set? But the set is still there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's where we're going. Ah, the, uh, I was wondering. There, okay. See, in, in Cecil B. DeMille's, the contract he made with the landowners, the stipulation was he had to remove all of that stuff when he was done. And... Okay, here's this really is leading up to Sands of Oblivion, way they would have you believe that he buried the set because he didn't have enough money to clear it all off. Right. That's what they want you to believe. Okay, hold that thought. So now it's 1982, and this guy Peter Brosnan, who's a film student in Los Angeles, hears the story of the, the, the Cecil B. DeMille Egyptian set that's been buried under the sand. He right. goes and reads DeMille's autobiography and DeMille's self-aware about this weird Egyptian set that's buried in Guadalupe in California. He says, and this is, I have to quote him, if a thousand, this is Cecil B. DeMille, if a thousand years from now, archaeologists happen to dig beneath the sands of Guadalupe, I hope they will not rush into print with the amazing news that Egyptian civilization, far from being confined to the valley of the Nile, extended all the way to the Pacific coast of North America. The sphinxes they will find were buried when we had finished with them and dismantled our huge set of the gates of Pharaoh's city. So there's DeMille in like 
59, I think it was published posthumously, his, his autobiography, it, him, himself saying, oh my God, you know, this would be a, a hoot if somebody digs this up a thousand years from now and says, what what the hell is this Egyptian temple doing buried under the sands of a California? But it's, um, it's all made out of wood, right? It's it's <laughs> it's wooden superstructure and it's plaster of Paris. Right. But so it I, looks really cool. Oh, I'm sure it does. So, so anyway. <laughs> So this guy, Peter Brosnan, is a film student. Everybody up in Guadalupe knows that, yeah, you walk on the dunes and all this crap is 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 washing out of the sand. But further south, it's just this legend about this isolated place where, where DeMille buried an Egyptian city. So Brosnan goes up. This is 82 or 83. He goes up to Guadalupe. He walks around and says, oh, my God, there are these cool set pieces and props from this movie. And they are literally the sand is blowing away and they're being exposed. That's when he hatched the idea of making a movie both about the, the 1923 version of Exodus and the making of that. So making a movie about making that movie and to hire archaeologists to actually dig this set. And that, that would be this really cool um, combination of interesting archaeology, but also an interesting part of film history. The thing is from this was a this was like Sisyphus, blow, you know, pushing the rock up the hill. He couldn't get the right the, enough money to do it. And then when he got some money, the he couldn't get the permits to do it. And it really wasn't, it was between the mid-1980s and, say, the mid-2000s, 2000, 2005, 6 and 7, a little bit of work was being done. I first read about this in 91 when Brian Fagan, is a very well-known archaeologist and author, wrote a piece about it for Archaeology Magazine about how there's the lost city of Cecil B. DeMille. Mm. Uh, Brosnan got so... Um, was so tired of trying to fight this battle. He left filmmaking entirely, got a degree in psychology, but oh, he God. always came back to Guadalupe walking around saying, somewhere, somehow I'm going to get the funding. And he ultimately did. So he excavated, that site was excavated in 2012 by real archaeologists. He made a movie, and this is my third, so two exoduses so far, and now there's a movie, The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille. It's a documentary about an hour long, brilliantly done, interviewing the archaeologists, showing the actual archaeological dig site. And they're doing it all legit, where they're exposing the remains of the Egyptian set. Um, the, the the Dune Center at Guadalupe, Guadalupe Napomo, um, they have a there's a nature center there, and they were part of the sponsorship for the dig, and they now have this marvelous. Uh, exhibit. I think it's about to open. I was able to see it before it opened up. Talk to this guy, Doug Jensen. Got to give him a shout out. He's the director of the Museum of the Dune Center. And, um, and Amy and Higgins. And, yeah. Is this in your book? Well, this, oh, yes, my next book, Archaeological Oddities. It's an entire entry <laughs> in my next book. But was, and, uh, um, Christine Evans and Amy Higgins, who were the, the renovators, art restorers, were actually putting together the pieces of one of DeMille's sphinxes. So all incredibly cool. And I um, the, the I, I was able to buy that DVD of The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille at the center. I don't know if you can buy it on Amazon, but it's if you're an archaeology prof out there and you want a really fun movie to show your kids that shows real archaeological um, technique, but also is part of this interesting bit of of film history. Um, I highly recommend it. So, okay, no, so now there's nothing spooky about any of that. However, in <laughs> 2007, the Sci-Fi Channel puts out oh, this movie, there you the, go. the Sands of Oblivion, and it's about all that stuff. However, uh -huh. remember I said, you know, look, 
They want you to believe that DeMille buried it all because he just ran out of money. Sands mm-hmm. of Oblivion clears that up. Oh, okay. Now, this is the fictional part, right? Um, there are. It's amazing the actors who are in this. First of all, Morena uh, Bakarin. If you're a brown coat like I am, and if you're a brown coat, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you may be wondering. These, why these are the the, the fans of Firefly and Serenity, the Joss Whedon show. <laughs> she plays in Firefly. She's the companion. So so, and she is look. Between you and and me and everybody, she is one of the most beautiful human <laughs> beings on the planet, and of course they know that in the she, movie. She's she Deadpool's shorts. girlfriend in the Deadpool movie. She wears shorts a lot. Uh-huh. But, but Adam, Baldwin, that Adam Baldwin, is. Adam Baldwin, who's also in Firefly, plays her soon-to-be ex-husband, and they're both archaeologists. And what are they doing? They're digging the Demille set, which I nice. think is pretty cool. And in mm. the movie, it goes back to the making of the movie. Dan Castellano, the guy who plays, who's Homer Simpson's voice, he plays, <laughs> he plays DeMille back in 1923, making the movie. And what they tell you in the movie is, and this is not true, is that DeMille went to Egypt to collect authentic Egyptian I artifacts. I knew that was going to happen. And mm-hmm. among the things he brings back is an amulet. Yep. And, and in the beginning of the movie, it shows us that in the amulet, is this evil, horrible demon who looks a lot like Anubis, you know, the jackal, but he also can mm-hmm. can, can change himself as a shapeshifter into a cobra, and he, he eats people and disembowels them and tears them apart. But in ancient Egypt, they find a way to, to, to uh, isolate him in this amulet, but the amulet has to be buried to keep him out of the world. DeMille digs up the amulet, brings it to California, and on the movie set in the 1920s, People are dying. Horrible things are happening. DeMille realizes this. And the reason he buries everything in California and Guadalupe is he doesn't know which is the the actual um, residence, which of the artifacts Anubis, this horrible, this Anubis-like demon is living in. So he buries everything, hoping that nobody will ever dig it up. But now it's 2007 and these archaeologists, as archaeologists are wont to do, Dig up something that they should li- better that is better left well better well left alone. They dig it up and they release the demon into the modern world. And I got to tell you, you have not lived until you've seen a scene in a movie where a guy uh, uh, driving a, a a bulldozer is covered with demon locusts and goes crazy and decapitates an archaeological field worker. It's really pretty cool. And to, I, I, personally, I got to tell you, this happens all of the time uh, in my dick. So be careful. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> yes. This is why, wait, wait, this wait, is my, why my Ken's not allowed to have bulldozers on his digs anymore. <laughs> no, that's right. No, that's, that's, it, it, listen, there's a, there's a, a release I have to sign. But one of my favorite lines in the movie is that early on in the movie, the Adam Baldwin and, and Marina Bakarin are supposed to be, they're married, they're both archaeologists, um, but they are separated and he's, they're going to be get, getting a divorce. So, and in the early part of the movie, Adam Baldwin is in, a, in bed with this extremely attractive young woman who is barely dressed and they're watching TV. Um, and on the TV, there's a news account of what the dig that's going to be ongoing 
uh, looking for the DeMille set. And so there's a, a still of Marina Bakarin as the archaeologist. And they mention the fact that she's an archaeologist, as is her husband. And then his picture comes up on the screen and they give his name. And of course, the young woman he's in bed with doesn't know that he's married. She pitches a fit, puts her clothes <laughs> on. And the last thing she says to him is, you better not give me an incomplete or I'm going right to the dean. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that, I, oh, still, yeah. I oh wouldn't God. have a penny. Because actually, I've never heard that before. But the, the thing that's really, I mean, the, it, the movie is okay. Well, I, one of the sad parts of the movie is is George Kennedy, who is a very well-known character actor. Uh, he was in Cool Hand Luke. He was in a bunch of well-known movies. He must have been pretty close to the end of his tenure on this mortal coil. Uh, but he's in the movie as like the, he plays this old guy who, when he was a child, saw DeMille burying stuff. And he remembers where it is and he wants to bring people to it. And there's poor George Kennedy in this like really low budget sci-fi movie. Uh, you know, it's a paycheck, George, I guess. And the, the thing that happens to him early on is he. He puts his hand down into the sand where he thinks this this thing may be buried. He finds an empty space, and the next thing that happens is some the demon rips his arm off. Oh, oh poor! I, I hope that's not George's last movie. I hope he goes on to bigger and better. Well, he goes on to bigger and better things, I suppose, in a in a spiritual sense. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the thing that's the, the movie is not great, and it kind of goes things go off the rails towards the second part of it. But it does have these it's these wonderful tropes about archaea about and I wish Jeb were here because it, it really is that whole spooky notion that the past is a mythic time where the rules that govern our universe really don't apply, but there really are demons and evil spirits who can shapeshift and they want nothing better than to rip people apart, drive them insane, decapitate them, pull their arms off, and that that's and that that's what archaeologists do as a regular course of, of our our professions is we release these demons into the world. Oh yeah. Damn it. You know, and, and uh, that's what we get taught the first year of archeology span school is how to release the demon without yourself getting eaten by it. What, right. What was right. the, why you get so many dropouts. What's the title of this movie again? What's the name of it? <laughs> the Sands of Oblivion. So, so it's not Sharknado. That's good. No, okay. it's, it's <laughs> not Sharknado. No, no. There are no sharks. There are no tornado. Well, actually, there are a couple of scenes where it looks like tornadoes, but it's it's you know it's the demon, I guess, spinning really fast. I'm just something. imagining like it's amazing to have this many references to uh, 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 Egypt and Set and not invoke the god Set from Egypt. Uh-huh. That's uh, no, that's wow, that's that was a good one. That, that, that borders on being funny. The borderlands of humor is where I make yeah, my residence. Yes, exactly. Sounds <laughs> like a humor. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you can you can uh, you it, know, we're, I, we're in the the humor <laughs> DMZ. We're, we're not allowed to cross over. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, you, you might release demons into the world and we don't want we already got enough Egyptian demons <laughs> running around. I mean, I like how a how convoluted that was, yet oh, you God. streamlined it so nicely for us. He it's, did. I, I like how it got tied all the way back to this one guy this one time built this thing out in the desert and then it got buried. <laughs> Therefore, it must be something mysterious. It couldn't just be garbage. Just fast forward, what, God, almost 100 years. And let's go dig the damn thing back up again because nobody really remembers anything about it anymore. 
one of the, one of the things that I mean, there really has been some cool archaeology done. Uh, apparently, Demille. This when was when was the um, when could you not drink alcohol? When was it illegal? When was prohibition? Prohibition was in the late twenties, right? Something like that. So this is only yeah. twenty three. But apparently, Cecil B. Demille was a teetotaler. Absolutely forbid anybody on his set to be drinking alcohol. And he he actually built a tent city in Guadalupe where they say a couple of thousand people were ex-movie extras. And he actually went out and hired a bunch of, of, of Hasidim, of very Orthodox Jews, and his who were not actors, but he felt, well, they'll feel so more emotionally emotionally attached to the Jews escaping the Pharaoh that they would be better at doing this than professional actors. Um, but so he built this city for everybody to live in, and it was absolutely dry. He would not allow any alcohol. When the archaeologists excavated the site, they found they found an enormous number of cough yep. syrup bottles. So, <laughs> so apparently, this what is it? What is that? Like twelve percent alcohol, twenty four proof. It used to be pretty high, yeah. Yeah, so yeah even more so. So I can imagine all these people, you know, showing up to work that day with Demille and saying, "Well, I've got a really bad cough. I got to take some cough syrup." And Demille, I guess, was okay with that. But he even I mean, had the sexist segregated. He didn't want any panky panky, even between married people. He said, no, 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 we no. got to keep this pure because we're dealing with Exodus. Oh, wow. wow. That reminds me of another movie, and I, I want to say it's single white female. I have no idea. It has absolutely not related archaeology at all. But it is related to the main female character wasn't allowed to drink for some reason. And so she was in her room drinking NyQuil. Because the NyQuil for, I don't know if it still does, but for the longest time was like the highest proof cough. Oh, yeah. Buy. It's high. Yeah. Right it's, it's still yeah. high. Sounds right to me. And I, all I remember, uh, literally all I remember about that scene is she's drinking that lime green cough syrup. And I have always hated cough syrup. And the I like physically gagged when I watched her do it on the movie. It's just like, I've never watched the movie again since, but that image horrifies me to this day. Wow. Yeah, it was very hey, bad is. time for me. But anyway. so, so, Ken, would you recommend these movies and documentaries oh. to our listeners? I would highly recommend the documentary The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille. That's wonderful. If you're in for some giggles, and if you like Morena Bacar, and I, I, I'm sorry I keep going back to that, but she's still <laughs> as riveting. I think, I think Ken has a crush. Have I made that clear? Yeah, um, maybe. It's the sense of oblivion. If you want a good giggle, it's certainly worth it. Um, the original, the original, um, the black and white silent version of the Ten Commandments is really interesting. Only about a third of it is supposed to be in ancient Egypt because at the end of the first third, it kind of fades out. And you realize that we've actually been visualizing what a woman, a mother has been reading. She's been reading the Bible to her two sons, one of whom is a very devout, you know, good son. And the other is like a badass who doesn't believe any of this stuff. And the next two thirds of the movie, the, the takeaway I got from the next two thirds of the movie is if you don't follow the Ten Commandments, you will grow up and you and your mother will be crushed to death in the ruins of the church that you built with substandard materials. That's my takeaway. Wow. So yeah, no, shit, that, that, that's, that's actually the way the movie goes. And the See bad song. The movie was about the Ten Commandments. That got dark really fast. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Well, see, what happens is that the, the bad son is, is a disbeliever, um, does all kinds of bad stuff, and he becomes this very rich um, construction magnet. And his mother has nothing to do with him because he cheats on his taxes and he cheats on his wife. He does all this bad stuff. 
And in the end, to, to get his mother's love, he builds a cathedral. This gorgeous church. And he brings her there to say, okay, mom, you've always been mad at me. You've always said I wasn't a good son. Look at this beautiful house of God that I've made. And then it collapses and kills them both because he used, you know, he cheated. He used substandard materials. And by the way, because apparently he bought rope really cheap, it came from some area that had leprosy and his wife gets leprosy. That's, wow. That's so these, are, wow. these are strange twists. All. So, twist. I mean, that's. That movie is almost as much of a horror show <laughs> well, as, I, as The Sands of Oblivion. I'll tell you one thing that you've you've pointed out to me that I hadn't considered before is that uh, God really was ahead of the curve there. I mean, you got the Ten Commandments. Basically, he was doing a listicle way before the blogging fad took off. And then, wow. like, so the Ten Commandments, you won't believe number seven. I mean... <laughs> You worked up for that one too. I am well, proud the, of it. The memetics. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm oh, big into God. memes and viral. Comes I mean, inside. yeah. <laughs> which which Mel Brooks movie is it? He comes down from the mountain. The eleven or, or the fifteen? Okay, the, 15, 15, the ten. Yeah, yeah the history the of the 10. world. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's go to our break real quick, and when we come back for real this time, Blake is going to tell us about the movie that he watched. Well, boys and ghouls, we hope you're enjoying this Monster Talk Archaeological Fantasies crossover. We're sure talking about a lot of spooky topics. And if that isn't hair-raising enough, you should see my hosting bill. we like to thank our Patreon subscribers for all of their assistance in keeping the lights on in this mausoleum. If you're interested in becoming a supporter, Please go to Patreon and look for Archie Fantasies. Every cursed coin counts. And thanks again for supporting the Archaeological Fantasies podcast. Now let's get back to the show. And we are back. And Blake, I don't know how you're going to like top those last two, but give it a shot. I don't know that I could top those, but um, I wanted to talk about a movie that I think has had a, an interesting sort of cultural impact. Um, there's this – I wonder how best to start this. But let me just say the film is called Ghost Watch. It was a 1992 British movie from, from the BBC. It was a TV movie. Um, when we were planning this episode, I was thinking about doing something about hoaxes and – Ghostwatch was presented as though it were a, a, a live call-in show about a ghost investigation. And, uh, yeah, it's, I heard about it when I was in the Navy and, and I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. I hope I can get a chance to watch it. And then I think it was more than a decade before I finally was able to actually track down a copy and, and see it because after it aired, um, there was such a, um, uh, uh, an outcry from the British public that it's never been rebroadcast on the BBC. It was presented as though it were a live investigation of an alleged haunting. Uh, and if you watch it and you know anything about ghost lore, you'll recognize it as being really, really reminiscent of the uh, infield haunting, uh, which we, we actually have talked about on Monster Talk before, which was a famous poltergeist case in the 1970s. And um, it was written by a guy named Stephen Volk and was originally planned to be 
part of a series. I guess there was a TV series on at the time called Screen One, which I've never seen before. And Volk wanted to make it a multi-part episode where uh, they would like walk through slowly, sort of ramping up the uh, paranormal a- uh, activity. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. Let's just do it all as a movie. So he kind of took the angle of, okay, we were going to ramp this up over six episodes, but what we'll do is do the whole thing in one night. It's a 90-minute show. Um, It's got real BBC presenters, like people that would be recognized by the British public. And while the show's going on, they're presenting it as though it's happening live. There's a call-in number where you can call in and share your own sort of paranormal experiences or uh, information. And what was happening is while people were calling in, if they were early, they were presented a phone number saying basically, okay, this is just a fictional presentation, but you can still tell your story if you want to to someone who will listen to you. But as it went along, so many people were calling in that they were getting busy signals. So it seemed like they were asking for call-ins and there was like so much demand that nobody was getting through. So it made it even seem more authentic. Uh, and the premise of the show is that uh, people in some council housing are having a, 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 a sort of a poltergeist experience and they've got investigators on site. And what I, what I found interesting about it is Although it's a fictional, you know, again, it's fictional. I'm not sure it was a hoax. Honestly, I, I, I sort of uh, chose to rewatch this thinking it would be a hoax. But as I sort of dug into it again, I realized that they give you plenty of clues up front that it's not a hoax. And when I first saw it, I wasn't aware of what the actual disposition was. I thought it was supposed to be true. But as I was watching some of the early footage, there's a, a sort of a giveaway there's a scene where they're watching little girls uh, in their bedroom and something, one of the girls gets up to go to the bathroom. And in that scene, if you watch, it's like the first footage they show. They've got like the timestamps. It's very much like Paranormal Activity. Those movies are very, very similar to the setup where they've got cameras set up for watching the girls in, in their bedroom. And as they're having these weird experiences, what I noticed was, the camera is supposed to be automatic, but it zooms in and focuses on the action, and that would <laughs> that would never happen without a, a somebody there to you know man the camera. So you know, at the time, I don't think audiences were as sophisticated, and uh, that wasn't such a giveaway. But by the time I saw it, I was like, "Wait a minute!" You know, so <laughs> and I don't know why they did that either. It, it, it's it's a peculiar choice. From the director to do that, but but what happens is they hop back and forth between uh, uh, the on-site investigation crew, which is you know real TV broadcaster people, and a studio which has a uh, another uh, well-known TV presenter, as well as a uh, an alleged scientist who's actually an actress. And uh, there's if you go to IMDb and look at the trivia, one of the interesting trivia bits is that the actress is a friend of Judy Dench and Judy Dench called her up and said, Oh, you ruined the experience for me because it seemed so real until I saw you on there. You know? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> That's so uh, mean. But it's really fun because it just keeps ramping up and all throughout the episode, as they're sort of revealing the story of the ghost and the haunting, there are um, deliberate sightings of the ghostly entity that's behind the story. And, not all of them have been identified. I think maybe seven of the 13 that they say are 
were you know actually on screen have been found by audiences. So it is still sort of an Easter egg hunt for finding out where the you know visual references and cues <laughs> are. Yeah, especially considering that when it was broadcast, uh, this was what nineteen ninety two. You know, people had VCRs, but it wasn't like it was a really easy thing to go back and you know rewatch right. something and, and dig into the details. Uh, so, so it's a really fun show. It had so much in common with the infield poltergeist, which is a real quote real Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, haunting. That story. yeah, yeah, based that, on a true story. Based on a true story that uh, <laughs> Guy Lyon Playfair was able to take them to court after the case because they didn't uh, give him any money, but clearly it was inspired by infield. I mean, it clearly. Was inspired by Enfield, mm-hmm. and when we we got to talk to Guy Lyon Playfair before he died, and he mentioned Which was this year, I think wasn't that it? was la- it was last year. It was I think it was twenty seventeen. So, oh, wow. but he mentioned that uh, he got enough money out of that settlement that he was able to take a very nice vacation or a, ho- <laughs> a holiday, as they say over there. So, yeah. yeah. It, so it's not a real movie, but what happens over the course of the film when rewatching it is so many of the ghost hunting elements are uh, consistent with what we think of as modern ghost research. So there's thermal cameras and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, indicators for, you know, temperature, uh, you know, cameras set up to watch. And uh, yeah, it it is uh, it's brilliantly done. In fact, I I really enjoy it. And it also has a tremendous similarity to the work of uh, uh, Nigel Neal, who was the writer behind the stone tape and uh, the, the Quatermass moves. And so mm-hmm. uh, it really has that feel about it. And it turns out that uh, Stephen Volk, who was the screenwriter for this, was a huge fan of, uh, of, of Neal's work and really was inspired by it. So, uh, I mean, to be fair, those were two really good movies. So, oh, yeah, yeah. And this is, it's, I, you know, rewatching it for this, my daughter Maddie saw me watching it and she was like, What are you watching? Is this real? Is this fake? And I, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to spoil it for you. I mean, why don't you just watch it and see what you think? She's love. I didn't spoil it. So she's really enjoying it. But I did point out to her, I said, if this was completely real, I don't believe anybody would have been changing the zoom levels on this camera that was supposed to be uh, uh, robotic or, you know, just sit there to watch. So I was just going to ask if this came out in 1992. So that predates ghost adventures and uh-huh. ghost hunters and, and all of those shows. And yet you say it, it kind of. Uh, uses a lot of the tools and the theories. I, I, I think it's a very clear precursor for what we would think of as a modern ghost hunt. Uh, Do you think it influenced these shows in any way? Fiction influences reality. We talk about scripteds and the idea of people watch movies and then sort of see things that are heavily influenced by that. I think what's happened here is you get like the full uh, example of how things, there's a feedback loop. You take a real case, allegedly, like the infield case, and that inspires the writer to make a fictional version, which then in turn inspires subsequent TV shows doing ghost research to follow that model. It, it does seem like a continuous sort of stacking of, of uh, elements over and over again. So. I really wish, or I really wish Jeb was here because he's got every time we talk about something like this, he's got like this list. Of books that he oh, rambles oh yeah, off right. about, yeah. and I—you'd think I'd have them memorized by now, but this is a phenomenon <laughs> that we talk about a lot on our show. 
where yeah like you're talking about this thing happens and the the fiction feeds reality which feeds the fiction which feeds reality life imitating art yeah, yeah but it just keeps bouncing back and I, I, forth and each time yeah. it changes just a little bit i'm convinced that it's sort of a, a, a mimetic loop uh that mm-hmm. just continuously feeds itself yeah and what it eventually happens uh i think you get uh sort of a nice distilled liqueur of, of what works, you know, and so that's almost what... as if it had been filtered through Herkimer diamonds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. But I mean, it's another example of how the, the, there is no bright line demarcating um, documentaries from fiction that is supposed to look like a documentary. And that happens. The thing with the camera that you mentioned, I, 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 I noticed this so frequently where, wait a minute, if that really were happening, that camera wouldn't even be there. Right. Um, I, I remember when the 2012, the, the Maya apocalypse occurred on some island in the Pacific, there's this, this obviously a natural geological feature, but it's a spire, a volcanic neck. And the guy climbs up this thing because you know, the Maya built this and they were going to sit on top of that and watch as December 21st, 2012 um, heralds in the end of the world. And as he's climbing up, they say he's the first human being to climb this since the, the end of the Maya. And one of the camera shots is from above. Well, <laughs> the cameraman was up there then. And they're making it like, this is, a, this is a deadly climb. Well, somebody got there before with a goddamn camera. And we're not supposed to notice that. We are, we are, you know, we are looking at this as if, as if our eye is actually there and we're seeing this and there's this camera in between and everything that we're seeing is in fact filtered through a camera that somebody is controlling. I think we as a society, we as a consumer, a visually consuming society, we have been trained by, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. We've just been trained by our entertainment and our media to accept certain things right so like when you're when you're watching a fantasy movie or you're watching a horror movie or anything you expect certain visual clues and tropes and the camera you know it's gonna be where the action is you just expect Mm -hmm. that so when it happens in real life you know your brain just doesn't make that transition and then of Mm. course you have to consider gopros and selfie sticks are a real thing so right (laughs) That's something yeah, like but, that men versus wild. Oh, God. Yes. You guys have ever seen it I mean, with I big reels. I mean, it's oh, even the case. Eric. Have you ever seen the show American Pickers? Right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. He, they just he got walks, he, So he walks into a place, like this guy's got all these antiques, and he introduces oh, yeah. himself like he's never seen them before. But there's a camera already there's there camera. behind the counter. So obviously My, they've been yeah. setting this, this scene up for probably a couple of hours. And now, mm. oh, I've never met you before. I'm here in your shop. Wait a minute. There's there's a sound man and there's a camera person and there's a lighting person. You know, they just had an article go across. Yeah, they just had an article go across the Internet about how fake American Pickers is um, hitting on not just the camera thing, but it's just like the the way that they just automatically find whatever it is they're looking for. And then the negotiations that occur thereafter. So I'll try to put that in show notes. But it's, it's interesting considering how impacted archaeology actually is because of shows like that. Right, I know, sure. that's terrible. I, I, thankfully, cryptozoology has never been affected by that kind of thing, so that's good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to catch pictures of things that are Of course aren't not. I do, I, I want to like point out some peculiar sort of Kevin Bacon seven degrees thing that I thought was kind of funny. Uh, 
Stephen Volk was the screenwriter for Ghostwatch. And one of his other credits is he wrote the novelization of the movie Gothic, which was a 1996 Ken Russell horror film based on the Frankenstein creation story. Not the mm-hmm. story of Frankenstein, but the story of the creation of Frankenstein, the book. And one of the characters in that 1996 movie is Timothy Spaulding, uh, who goes on to play, I think... Uh, or something. Peter Pettigrew, thank you. Yeah, Pettigrew. lost, lost yeah. for a minute. But, but he also goes on to play one of the paranormal investigators in the TV movie The Enfield Haunting, which is the story that was the inspiration for Ghost Hunt. So there's like this weird uh, Tim Spaulding loop. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild. So, so you all have been putting together these really great and well-thought-out uh, connections between all these <laughs> movies and stuff. No, I'm really impressed with it. I really am. Uh, I, too, watched some horrible movies, but I guess I didn't take this assignment nearly as seriously. Uh, You're the moderator, I, then. I am, and I'm moderating the hell out of it. Um, but I did... I wanted to watch... I wanted to watch stuff that was more modern because I, I wasn't sure how modern the movies were going to be that we picked but karen picked something that just came out like what last year so i put in a search for archaeology horror movies and one of the best things that popped up was an article by dig ventures who i'll list in the show notes and it's the 10 best and worst horror movies featuring archaeologists and they i like this list of movies that they had and i was able to watch most of several of them because some of them are really kind of hard to find um of course the first movie is the mummy the 1932 version of it um i didn't watch that because it's black and white and i hate black and white films um it's a kick-ass movie that's a great movie. it actually really is i've it's actually scary. It. Yeah, it's, it's very frightening i was gonna say I'm ken loves that movie don't speak ill of the mummy right yeah that's right no i love my mummy i know <laughs> <laughs> The, the next one is The Exorcist, because uh, apparently at the beginning, the whole... And, and this starts off the theme that I noticed with a lot of these movies. So, of course, The Exorcist, um, there's an archaeology dig at the beginning where I think some demon is, of course, unleashed into the world. And then it goes forward, possesses some young girl. It's Pazuzu. Uh, My daughter's Pazuzu, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> the, the next movie is a movie... It's actually a more recent movie called um, As Above, So Below. Which wasn't really a traditional kind of horror movie. I'm not going to spoil it for people because it is kind of recent. It's from it's from 2014. It is French, so be prepared for subtitles. But um, it was a very interesting take on hidden cities beneath actual cities. So were they catacombing through the uh, stuff under yes. the Yes. <laughs> so it was kind of like a horror movie. It was kind of like the horror movie version of the Da Vinci Code. If you take out all of the religious mumbo jumbo, but then add in mumbo jumbo religion. Does that make sense? No, but uh, as much as anything yes. else. <laughs> <laughs> There is one that I wasn't able to get a hold of. Uh, it's called Stonehenge Apocalypse. I really am going to hunt this one down. It's from 2010. It's apparently a sci-fi where some archaeologists figure out how to tune um, Stonehenge, and then everything starts exploding. So, wow. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it sounds really great. Um, 
Yeah, the, the plot is triggered when archaeologists unearth an Egyptian burial chamber in Maine, which accidentally sets off an electromagnetic pulse that originates in Stonehenge and unleashes a series of devastating shockwaves across the most famous sites around the world. So I, I hate when that happens, by the way. I, I, think, I know, I mean... I, I think enjoying that movie may hinge on being stoned. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good job there. Well, we were talking about the legalization of marijuana earlier, yeah. so... Uh-huh. <laughs> the, another one I'm really looking forward to tracking down is The Legend of the Bog, and... This one just has two archaeologists that apparently stumble out into the Scottish bogs or Irish bogs, somewhere around here. And um, they meet some crazy survivalist guy who then, spoilers, it's a zombie movie, what? has to fight bog, mon- bog body zombies. So the bog body zombies, bog bodies in general, I think, are amazing. So these right. bog, bog bodies become zombies? Yes, they, they must the be reanimated, bodies right? are actually, which this is not true, are actually evil people that had to be buried in the bog because it was the only way to seal the evil in them, which again is not true. And these two bumbling archaeologists find this survivalist guy in the bog and then somehow they all reanimate and they all start trying to kill everyone. And I'm assuming just judging from the breakdown here, that the archaeologists did get eaten, um, and the survivalist guy survived. Wow. So, so Vinny, it's possible stars Vinny Jones. Unconfirmed spoilers. Kind of a... Is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> but don't, doesn't the bog preservation process turn the whole body really squishy? It effectively, from what I understand, kind of turns you into like really well-preserved soap. Hmm. So, so they're clean I, zombies, if anything, right? Yeah, I am not a bog bodies expert, but I do Irish know that... Springs with two deodorants and a fresh, clean <laughs> scent. <laughs> I do know that the people weren't originally buried there because they were evil, necessarily. Um, there is one with cats and nuns, so it's basically just demonically possessed crazy cat ladies. Cats and nuns. It's I called it. Demona. That's another one for Blake. <laughs> it's from the 1980s. If you go to the link in this and and watch the preview video of it, it is, it's like someone did short attention span theater on the movie and cut this movie down into like a two and a half minute clip. And it is the most confusingly weird thing you will ever watch. I don't need to watch the movie now. I just watched this two and a half minute clip and I'm like, okay, I got it. There's cats. They're possessed by the devil. There's something about nuns, lots of screaming people. And then a guy gets ripped apart by trees. How do you, how do you differentiate a, a, a demon cat from a regular cat? That's one of the, uh, they jump <laughs> the eyes, eyes and they the eyes. pull your eyeballs out, which is what's <laughs> happening in this movie. They're, they're chewing the, this woman's eyeballs out. That's, and then some guy gets eyes. his tongue nailed to a board. I don't know. It's Italian. Oh, it's Italian. We <laughs> say no more. Well, that you know, that's uh, true in the uh, Ghostwatch movie. The the villain ghost is called Pipes, and he's a serial killer sort of character who has no eyes. His eyes uh, were eaten by cats. So there, there you go. There's it's a theme, theme here. It is. It's like a there is a cat, theme. Really. I guess he can't see because of cataracts. Oh. <laughs> would it be fair? To, would it be fair it to say be that cat these, attacks, not cataracts? Would it be fair to say that these nuns? raise cats and that's their habit 
Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I like that this is the one you guys are going after, the crazy cat. Ken, not everything's so black and white. That's the... (laughs) But was this supposed to have something to do with archaeology? Uh, Yes, because... (laughs) Karen! Excellent question, Karen. (laughs) The nuns, with their evil cats, were killed like a hundred years before these archaeology students stumbled into the old nunnery and revived the thing. Oh, by the way, they're Celtic. I don't know. Um, Oh, okay. That explains it. It really, it really doesn't. But again, one of one of the recurring themes here is that the world would be a better place without us damn archaeologists unleashing all of hell upon the living. See, this is the thing that I'm like. We're only on. That that's only movie six, but you can already see the thing that's developing here that I'm noticing, and it's just the the whole concept of the. And I I wish Jeb was here because I know he would have something to say about this, but the. The popular idea linking archaeologists with demons and evil. And it's not like there is one movie on here where the archaeologist is actually the hero because he didn't screw up. He's the one trying to solve the problem. And that's um, Hiraku the Goblin. Where is this movie? Yeah, Hiraku the Goblin. It is, I believe, Japanese. Yeah, it's a Japanese movie. You can watch it on YouTube. It is crazy. And the guy who's playing the archaeologist, he's also an inventor, apparently. And he has all of these really weird contraptions that he's invented to make excavating easier. And one of them that I just adore is he's apparently taken like a handheld egg beater and removed the beaters and has put um, feather dusters where the beater blades go. And then he just stands over the unit that he's supposed to be excavating and he turns on his little feather beaters and his little feather beaters like push all of the dirt away from the artifacts in his unit. And then he just puts a little stick in there so that they know where the artifact is. And then he just sits back and he's so pleased that his little thing works. And then he goes back and he's just like feather dusting his entire unit. And I shit you not. I was like that. That would actually be very useful. That's a great idea. (laughs) It really is. I cannot think of how many times I've been like, you know what? I wish I just had like a little hand vacuum that I could just suck up all this loose dirt with. But yeah, like I really like my favorite movie, Heroku the the Goblin trailer is the last movie on the list. And I don't really need to go through all of them. And it's the only one where the, the archaeologist is like the actual hero. He didn't unleash anything horrible. He just has this theory that goblins are real and then someone else unleashes the goblin demon lord and he starts eating people's heads and burning them. And I don't really remember all of it. It was just a lot of gore and monsters and really cool hate beaters. Right, so when you say goblin, do you mean like Dungeons and Dragons style goblins? Or is it just like, uh, like did you get to watch that one by any chance or just? I got to watch about half of it. And you don't actually ever see the ancient evil in the first half of it. I don't know if like later on you in the very end of it you do, but you just get the illusion that there is a monster there and it possesses the, it, it of course takes over a high school because the high school itself is built on the gates of hell. And so it's, wow, what year is this from? It's not uh, Buffy, right? 1990. Ooh, that's, that's pre Buffy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not, I don't know. What an well, inspiration. Yeah, I mean, this ones that win. It's, 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 it's the archeologist that wins. We're giving Joss Whedon a lot of shout outs here tonight. We really are. You guys are kind of fangirling on him a little bit. Well, you know. 
Can I can I say can I can I point out again that Marina um, Bakarin is a really beautiful woman. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch this movie just because of like all of the gushing you've done today, and I'm gonna it be like, could be. I'm gonna go. Hey, listen, when we're done, I'm gonna go watch that. Watch me that movie again. To be fair, if she is Deadpool's girlfriend, if that's the same actress, then yes, she is very hot. I was still thinking about these these uh, Celtic nuns. And, <laughs> Well, whatever floats your boat, I, like, I'm not I will send this. you the link and, and you can watch the two and a half minutes. It is it is an experience. It will change your life. I, I'm looking for, basically I'm thinking Celtic nuns if they have to like uh announce their prayers uh you know in the traditional sort of monastery way, uh it doesn't woad bell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's stop now. I, I bow down to you there, Blake. Nobody's going to bit that wow. out. Go that There's going to be dozens of people that get that, that joke. Sick. <laughs> He's very sick. Literally. I'm sick and rum. I'm not sure. That, you know, to and be rum. fair, that's not a pun. That's a spoonerism. So that's all right. So yeah. I, That's true. There's something different. Yeah. So. One of them is the lowest form of comedy. The other one I didn't know was a word. Yeah, Spooner. Yeah, the Reverend Spooner would uh, change the first consonant right. sound. And we get them backwards. Transpose would, the sound. That's right. Yeah. It's a, so it's transpositional humor. Good times. Wow. Good times. <laughs> it was. And thank you guys for letting me run the show over just so I can get my little shout out there at the end. But, no, it's uh, good. It's good. I think we'll, we'll have some cool stuff in the show notes for people to check out. Yeah, if you can't find a good movie to watch in our show notes, then you are just too picky. Yeah. yeah we're going to keep our listeners busy over Halloween. Exactly. Lots of fun movies, absolutely. And lots of lots of uh, demons traveling the world because of uh, our archaeological machinations, our archaeological think, excavations. Yeah, thanks, guys. I think it's going to nail Jeb down and be like, we must talk about demons and archaeology, even though it won't come out in October. Well, yeah, but that that's a good idea. Well, yeah. we, you know, actually, we did sort of touch on that with the whole Solomon's Ring conversation we had around the haunted object stuff. So, yeah, and there's of course, you know, the black dog, and and there's always some kind of weird, as these movies point out, there's always some weird kind of possession happening with going back to last year's conversation with haunted objects and sure, you know, the concept of archaeology, archaeological places being haunted just because of their age and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So everybody should also, along with seeing these movies, you should go get yourself a copy of Jeb's spooky archaeology book because there's people really a lot should of deep background book. to a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about today. Well, I was just gonna say, I think he's the only one with a book that wasn't able to plug it. So yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> it's like it's, it's plugged a, now. It's seventy five bucks or something crazy like that, but it's worth it. So it yeah, is a actually a really great book. Considering how large the book is, seventy five is really not that expensive. No, but it's not. Nice. cover or. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's hardcover. It's it's really nice, but I I hope that they're able to you know burn through that first printing and get out some paperbacks. Sure. Yeah, yeah Kindle. E-book. Yeah, an ebook would be great. An ebook would be nice. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for coming on it's for our great, third great crossover. Thank Hopefully you so much. Talk to you guys next year. Yeah. yeah. Happy <laughs> Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, indeed. Happy yep, Happy Halloween. Well, boys and girls, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Archaeological Fantasies Monster Talk crossover. I just hope it makes your Halloween as special as it's made mine. If you've liked what you've heard, please consider donating a little bit of your hard-earned cash 
to both the Archaeological Fantasies podcast and the Monster Talk podcast on Patreon. If you're interested in any of the movies or topics we discussed in this episode, head on over to our show notes to find the answers to your burning questions. If that doesn't reveal the secrets to you, you can always email us at archiefantasies at gmail.com. Like and subscribe us wherever you can, and don't be afraid to share us with your friends. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a happy Halloween. <laughs>